Ladies and gentlemen, dear friends of Finnagora, welcome back to follow the Point Taken podcast series, which was launched last May by Finnagora, the Finnish Institute in Hungary. My name is Eero Yurekoskinen, and I'm the director of Finnagora. Now, it's my great pleasure to continue our podcast series by introducing today's guest, András Husar. András is the director of Green Policy Center in Hungary, which is a climate and sustainability think tank operating in Budapest. András is also the European Climate Pact ambassador in Hungary and a coordinator of a climate change course at the National University of Public Service starting in September. András, welcome to this interview. Now, could you tell us a little bit about your own background? I understand that uh, you worked for quite some time with the Ministry of National Development and the Ministry for Innovation and Technology on issues related with climate change. Can you tell us about those years and uh, how you eventually decided to move to a think tank and set up the Green Policy Center? Well, hi, Eero, and uh, I also greet the audience. Thank you for having me. This is a great pleasure to be in this podcast. Yes, I mean, uh, I was lucky enough to work from the Ministry for the Hungarian Government from 2014 up to 2020. I was at the Climate Policy Department, uh, as you mentioned, in both ministries. The latter was the continuation of the former, so it's the same place, basically where I had the chance to be a legal expert, then a head of uh, unit, and then finally I was promoted to the head of department, which was a great uh, pleasure for me. I believe uh, those years were one of the most, if not the most exciting period of international climate policy making. Uh, In 2014, we had the 2030 EU climate and energy package negotiations. I was also lucky to work in Brussels in that autumn when actually the package was adopted in October. And then obviously uh, in parallel, we were negotiating the Paris Agreement, which is probably the most famous piece of legislation in international climate policy. And it was adopted in in 2015 in Paris. I was also lucky to to be uh, at the conference as a legal expert of the Hungarian uh, negotiating team. And I was also the national focal point of the IPCC, which is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. It's the scientific advisory body uh, to the UNFCCC, basically. And I was the representative of the Hungarian government and I attended many, uh, many IPCC meetings, which was also a great opportunity for me to learn from scientists about climate change and, and how they tackle and what, what are they, their advice uh, to policymakers. So it was a great experience for me. And last but not least, up to 2018, I was also part of the negotiation of the so-called Katowice Climate Package, which was basically about the implementation rules of the Paris Agreement, because the Paris Agreement is is quite vague, it's quite general, so it needs to be... Uh, Computized. Imp- yes, yeah. exactly. So, And finally, uh, when I left uh, the ministry, the European Green Deal was just about to be negotiated. So. What I wanted to say is that I had a great time uh, at the ministry. It was uh, extremely exciting. I I had the chance to be in so many conferences, which I would never have the chance uh, without being inside. 
But then, you know, after six years, I felt like um, I need to try myself at a different uh, place. I never want to leave uh, environmental related issues or climate change in particular, but I just wanted to try something else. I wanted to, you know, share my experience in a more uh, flexible way, I would say, to to the wider uh, public. And um, with two former colleagues from the ministry, we decided to to set up a dedicated think tank in Hungary because we felt that there's a need for that uh, in Hungary as well. We see great examples in, in Western Europe, for instance, or in Finland. But in Hungary, we were a little bit short on, uh, on uh, dedicated think tanks, green uh, issue related think tanks. So that's why we decided in, in April 2020 on the 15th, occasion of Earth Day to to set up uh, the Green Policy Center, which I never regret. We are having so much fun and we, you know, we closely follow the developments of international EU and national uh, climate uh, policy making. We provide advice, we write articles, we organize events. We see that so many things are happening at the same time and probably this issue, uh, unfortunately, is going to be more and more uh, frequent, not only in, in the public debate, but only in, uh, but also in real life, like we see huge storms, etc. So we need to do something about it. And, and uh, fortunately, I see that more and more people are interested in, in this topic and uh, more and more uh, companies, uh, business, uh, etc. Uh, are asking for advice, uh, what to do, how to do. Funnily, I, I sometimes I say that probably we will have enough work until 2050, that's for sure. So uh, we are not going to lose a job probably in the, in the coming 30 years, at least. That's an interesting story. By the way, is the government or your previous employer still using your services while you're leading this think tank or are you working on your own and uh, doing, as you said, seminars, that kind of things? We are not ruling out to work for the government, definitely. We, we already had some uh, uh, work that we have done for the Hungarian government. So we are also open for that. But uh, yeah, we, we are open to a more wider uh, audience as well. So it's not only for the government, definitely. Yes. You mentioned something about companies being worried as well and uh, want, wanting to do uh, something in terms of climate. Could you specify a little bit? Is something that I worked on as well before uh, joining uh, Finagora with the Finnish Chamber of Commerce. And I found it uh, quite difficult at that time, but uh, maybe you have a different experience. Uh, I see that um, companies, businesses are uh, realizing that climate change will affect their very operation and uh, you know it's their very own interest to do something about it but at the same time the regulations are also changing uh, the, the working environment within they are operating so they need to change even if they don't want to change yes for instance we we have this new initiative by the european commission or by the eu uh, it's called the taxonomy uh, yes. regulation which provides a list basically what is considered to be environmentally sustainable and what is not absolutely and companies more and more needs to follow that uh, you know map basically yeah but i also see that more and more companies realize that they can also save money by operating in a more sustainable way 
for instance, using less energy, uh, using less raw material, yes. etc. Yes. So this is more or less the uh, bigger uh, themes that uh, you know they are interested in yes. how to do better. Obviously, there are big competition in this area. I mean, uh, within uh, advisory companies, and we are a small uh, fish in the lake. Sure. But we can cooperate with with bigger advisory firms, for instance, and uh, provide advice because we have a quite unique knowledge, I think, uh, coming within the government, uh, seeing so many negotiations and formulating, for instance, strategies, yeah. uh, which companies are also seeking, like, uh, you know, to, to create their own uh, strategies, etc. And uh, they are not only doing that uh, on their own, but as I said, the regulations are aiming to that uh, direction as well, that they have to provide some uh, initiatives or strategies, how they are going to be more sustainable. At the same time, they also see an opportunity like an advertisement opportunity that mm -hmm. uh, that they can show that they are more green, which has uh, gaining more and more market value, I would say. But you have to be really cautious because uh, you want to avoid greenwashing, which, which is, I think, uh, a great risk at this time. And I see it uh, many, many times in many companies that, you know, they are saying that uh, how good they are in, in green related issues, mm. but these are only slogans. So we are also trying to fight against uh, greenwashing, which is not easy because, uh, you know, it's not easy to really see inside the companies how they actually operate because, you know, they can say that it's a, it's a business secret or, or yeah. something like that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think uh, we, have to, we have to fight against it and uh, we are supporting initiatives which say that uh, the first step for the companies is to be more transparent yeah. how they operate, yes. for instance. Yeah. Uh, you don't know how, how much tons of uh, plastic mm. Coca-Cola is producing a year, mm. for instance. Maybe it's even more than a country. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, first first step is to be transparent. My experience with the uh, Finnish Chamber of Commerce was that uh, we developed specific programs for Finnish small and medium-sized enterprises in order to reduce their uh, carbon footprint and aim for carbon neutrality by 2035. And uh, this program has, by the way, now been also translated into English. I'm, I'm happy to uh, provide it uh, to anyone who's interested. But anyhow, during the training courses that we provided to uh, these companies, it came up from some of the participants that um, even though they, they were representing small and medium-sized enterprises, they said that they had al already experienced situations where the multinational companies that they were working with had produced public bids, calls for tender, which required information on the carbon footprint of uh, the service provider. And that's something that's quite challenging if your operations are more complicated, if you're dealing with uh, the production of metals and so on. And you will not be able to calculate your footprint in just a matter of two or three weeks. So I think that was a good shake-up and wake-up call for many of these companies that this is something which is now trickling down also to the smaller and medium-sized enterprises. And uh, I'm quite sure that it's just a matter of time when this will become a norm. We also organized at Finagora 
a webinar last May on the EU taxonomy regulation. And uh, that was a very interesting discussion. We will put it on our website with subtitles in Hungarian in the next few days. There were some experts from Hungary and Finland talking about it. And I think uh, that might provide also some further information to Uh, those listeners uh, that might be interested in this topic. For instance, uh, we we produced a study on public uh, green public procurement because it can play a huge role mm. in changing the operation of business, yes. especially in country like Hungary, where public procurements are one of the biggest sector of business operation because uh, so many tenders are are issued by the state, and if the state requires a specific uh, green requirements from the service providers, then it can change the whole operation of business in Hungary because it has a huge effect. Of so course. so this is this is what we see now that um, there's a great opportunity, for instance, in greening the public procurement processes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, maybe we should move on to the next topic. I would like to discuss with you about the um, EU climate package that was published by the European Commission in July. This is something that was widely discussed in Finland because it also contains some uh, elements related to forestry, which is a very sensitive issue in in our country. But uh, I would be now more interested about the reactions in Hungary. Did you see there that there was any specific objectives that uh, you consider difficult on a national scale? And what could be the main challenges for the other Central and Eastern European countries? Well, this so-called Fit for 55 package was uh, released on the 14th of July by the European Commission. It's a quite comprehensive package and it's about how to fulfill the uh, increased ambition of the EU, which is to to lower the EU's greenhouse gas emissions by at least 55% compared to 1990 levels. So this is what is about. It's uh, the implementation package of that goal. And as you said, uh, there are various elements uh, in that package. It's 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 not easy to to read. <laughs> it's uh, some something like 2000 pages long. Yes. <laughs> to be very honest with you, I haven't read all all, all mm, of it. <laughs> mm, sure. Um well, I mean the reactions in Hungary were I would say mixed, rather negative, I would say. I see. Because, yeah, yeah, I mean, everybody ag- agrees to some extent that we need to do more in order to, you know, fulfill the increased ambition. Because the, the former was 40%, it's plus 15%. It's not exactly like that because uh, the commission has changed the net uh, target to gross targets. Uh, I don't want to go into that yes. details, but... Uh, Uh, so it's it's a huge step forward, I would say, although some uh, argue that it's even not enough and uh, we should have done 60% uh, cent, uh, by 2030, but anyhow. Mm. So why, why these were rather negative? So uh, most of uh, commentators and the government agrees that we need to do more, but obviously the debate or the devil lies in the details. So how we should do more and uh, probably the most controversial part of that uh, package was the extension of the so-called European trading uh, emission trading uh, scheme to to transport basically and to buildings to heating heating of the buildings yes. 
because that would introduce the quota system mm-hmm. uh, into those uh, sectors, which means that uh, service providers like uh, fuel companies and uh, and heating service providers need to buy quotas after their greenhouse gas emissions, which will be calculated in a given method. But most of the commentators worry that these additional prizes will be, you know, handed over to the customers uh, in yeah, the end, which yeah. means that basically you, you need to pay more for fuel and you need to pay more for heating. And probably the most important argument is that uh, first, it's not fair because it would introduce a uniform uh, quota system across the EU. And, you know, uh, the economic uh, development level of the various member states are, <laughs> I would say, not, not at the same level, of course. Uh, to say the least. Yeah. And the second thing or critique about this initiative is that we shouldn't, shouldn't start to put a price on carbon for everybody at the same price, because that would obviously uh, affect poorer households in a more serious manner than not that poor households. So, yes. um, and uh, the Hungarian government argues, for instance, that uh, the biggest polluters should bear the burden of climate change the financial aspect of climate change in the first place and not ordinary people should pay more for the price uh, of, of climate action, basically. Now, the commission argues that everybody needs to contribute to this. And uh, obviously, they also recognize that uh, there are some huge, I would say, huge differences uh, within the EU, I mean, in terms of financial capacities of households. And um, they also introduced in this proposal a so-called social climate fund, yes. which would be a kind of a compensation mechanism, which means that uh, even if you have to pay more for your fuels or heating, you will be compensated in one way or the other. Mm. Now, <laughs> this is uh, something that we don't see crystal clear, like how this can be done. Some worry that it would increase bureaucracy and it would uh, be a huge administrative burden for for the EU or for the national uh, authorities. But I also think that it would be really difficult like to differentiate who is eligible for this compensation, who is not eligible. So this this is something that would not be really easy to do, I would say. So that's why the reactions were were rather mixed, I would say. And um, now the Hungarian government even declared that in its current form, the proposal is unacceptable, Okay, which is, you know, a quite harsh uh, mm. position. But the negotiations have not started yet, basically, because of the summer break. Uh, so we are looking forward to that in, in September. We, as Green Policy Center, we are trying to organize expert debates around the package because we believe that um, even if you have some critics against the proposals, it's always better to propose something different and not just refuse it. Yeah, yeah. So that's what we are trying to galvanize, to create some kind of alternative proposals which are more you know, acceptable for CE countries. Because what I have read so far is that the V4 countries, so Czechia, Slovakia, Poland and Hungary, 
are more or less in agreement with what I have just elaborated on. Like ordinary people should not be the the yeah. the burden sharers, the ones who who has to pay in the first place for for climate action. But I also read some uh, arguments which uh, argue that that basically this new ETS, because it will be a separate ETS compared to the former ETS, which yeah. is for uh, the large companies, so it will be a, a parallel system. It can also generate revenues uh, for the EU and for for the countries uh, as well, which can be you know spent on on climate uh, related investments, for instance, uh, energy efficiency or, or greening the uh, energy production sector, or to support the uh, shift from uh, combustion fuel engine cars to electric cars, for instance, yes. which is uh, a controversial issue, but uh, anyhow. Needs to be done anyhow. Yes, yeah. yes. So this is where we are with yeah. this package at, the, at this moment. Well, I fully share the concern about um, possible social impacts that some of these proposals may have on poorer households. You, of course, remember the French Yellow Vest movement, exactly. which uh, really caused havoc in that society for months and uh, was in the national news basically for every day for quite some time. And I think many countries have since learned that uh, this should not be overlooked. And that's probably also one of the reasons why the fair transition concept was introduced when uh, talking about the Green New Deal. But it is true that in terms of combustion engines and the whole car industry, the change is already happening. And uh, I may come back to this issue later on regarding uh, fiscal measures that might help decision making also at the consumer level. But um, before that, I would uh, still want to stay here in Hungary and, and hear a little bit more about um, how well has the country succeeded in promoting renewable energy, what is the current state of play for solar and wind energy, and whether you see any restrictions that consider as counterproductive in promoting the use of renewable energy in Hungary? Mm -hmm. uh, in order to fulfill the climate goals, uh, the promotion of renewable energy is absolutely a key because uh, more than 70% of greenhouse gas emissions are coming from the energy uh, sector, energy production, basically. And here in Hungary, uh, it's a challenge, definitely, I mean, to promote uh, renewable energies. Currently, according to the to the latest figures, still within the renewable energy mix, almost 70% is coming from solid uh, biomass in Hungary. Yes. So it's uh, the biggest share. Then we have biofuels, 9.4%, 9, 9 and uh, only the third is solar, yes. which is 7.7%. But it's booming <laughs> currently yeah. because uh, the government is planning to increase uh, solar capacity by six times until 2030. So there's huge uh, support programs for solar, which is good. There are various uh, scenarios by the government, but uh, what I see now is that they picked the so-called nuclear plus solar uh, scenario. Yes. So they are building mostly on these two energy resource. 
because the government in Hungary considers nuclear also a sustainable energy source, sure. not yeah. uh, necessarily renewable, but mm. but sustainable, so GHD free. Yes, exactly. So this is the the, the two most important uh, ones. So uh, by the end of 2020, the capacity of solar energy in Hungary was more than 2000 megawatts, mm. which is actually more than our nuclear power plant's capacity. So now it's bigger than than the nuclear power plant's capacity, uh, which is currently operating. Yeah. As the audience may know that uh, there's a new nuclear plant uh, construction going on in Hungary. The government is planning to uh, have a 90% GHG free electricity production uh, by 2030 in Hungary. So that that this is the the goal of the government. Now, obviously, we have some geothermal, biogas, etc., but uh, these are relatively smaller. These these have a smaller share. Now, talking about wind energy, unfortunately, it's only one point nine percent, so it's not even two percent of the renewable energy share, and it has not increased uh, in recent years because the government uh, basically introduced uh, administrative burden against increasing wind capacity in Hungary. This is a very controversial issue and many commentators argue that uh, this should not be the case. Can you specify a little bit what kind of administrative burden? So the regulation says that a new wind energy power plant can be built. I'm not sure about the exact figure, but um, let's say five kilometers outside of any uh, populated area. Yes. But if you look at the map and you draw these circles around populated areas, you will find no eligible territory for those ones. I see. So it's not forbidden to yeah. to build a new wind power plant, but basically you cannot do it because there's no free, sure. there's no eligible uh, territory for that. So th- this is the administrative burden. It's it's interesting because you know Finland had slightly similar experience in the beginning at uh, a local level. You know, wind energy, because of its aesthetic mm-hmm. uh, impressions, uh, may concern people a little bit in the beginning. But the fact is that currently we have a real boom of mm-hmm. building new wind energy in Finland because local communities get very important annual income mm-hmm. from the rental of those lands. In many areas which are not close to you know the, the major cities this has become of major importance and also of course it provides some uh, employment to to those communities so the public thinking about uh, wind energy has changed quite dramatically during the past 10 years i would say the first reaction was that uh, you know this is minimal the the additional impact that it may have on our uh, energy production but once you have thousands of them, it's not uh, so small anymore and uh, is definitely important, at least in, in the Finnish context. Exactly. And I, I believe that the various types of renewable energy can be really complementary to each other. So when the sun is not shining, the wind may blow. Exactly. And vice versa. Yeah. The government is not crystal clear like what was the reason for this administrative, the introduction of this administrative burden. 
the most common argument is that Hungary is not uh, windy enough mm. <laughs> to introduce those capacities. But I'm always saying like, so what? Let uh, private companies to build uh, wind uh, power plants if they if they want. Uh, they are risking their own money. Absolutely. Uh, if there's no wind, then they will lose their money. And, and it's good to understand that it's you know the wind turbines are not the same anymore. They, exactly. They may be 200 meters high, and uh, at that level, it always blows. Yes. So so basically, you know, it's it's not a problem anymore. Mm. And uh, the, these are the same arguments that we used to hear a lot in Finland as well. And they are super effective now yeah. nowadays. So they are much more effective than they were before. I saw a, a, a video uh, from Germany mm. uh, how they are changing. And for instance, uh, there were some uh, contra arguments against wind turbines that they are they were loud, for instance. Yes. But nowadays they are much much more uh, less uh, noise yes. coming out from them. So that that also should not be a problem. Right. Okay. Maybe. We can continue on the next topic, which relates to carbon neutrality. Uh, many Nordic countries have already set a specific target when they intend to reach that goal. For Finland, this should happen by 2035. I would be uh, curious to hear, has Hungary any similar goals? I think um, we cannot compete with Finland in in that uh, date. Uh, it's I think it's the world's first date or mm. something like that. But uh, Hungary, as so many others, have uh, already declared that uh, it intends to be climate neutral by 2050, Good. which is in line with the recommendations yes. of the IPCC, basically. So that's the that's the international standard nowadays. We have a law. Uh, adopted, which which declares this goal. So it's not only in strategy or government declaration, whatever, but it's legislation, yes. uh, which was only the, the seventh in the world to be adopted in uh, June uh, 2020, so last year. However, at the same time, this legislation is, is quite short. <laughs> yes. It only declares the targets but not necessarily attach implementation parts, how to reach those targets. The 2030 target is also included in this legislation, which is at least 40%. It was in line with the previous EU uh, target. Yeah. Nowadays, there are not yet debates. Well, there are some commentators who, who argue that this should be raised as well. I mean, in line with the, with the EU ambition raising. Anyhow, so we have a 2050 climate neutrality target, which I believe is hugely important because you, it's a it's a great reference point. You yes. can you can always refer to that when the government is doing something. Yeah, uh, and we see some concrete programs that the government has already started to undertake. There's an action plan, a climate and environmental action plan, uh, currently operating in Hungary. However, and this is my uh, research topic because I'm also a PhD student, I think effective climate governance is absolutely essential in order to reach these ambitious goals because even, I mean, <laughs> I can imagine how ambitious is by 2035, but until 2050, it's even very ambitious to reach mm. climate neutrality, exactly. which is basically for the audience uh, is the balance between emissions and uh, sinks. So basically, uh, it means that a given territory or country is not increasing the concentration of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Yeah. But it's a hugely uh, ambitious uh, target. Hungary has reduced its greenhouse gas emissions by roughly 33% compared to 1990 levels, okay. 
which means that even the two-thirds of the reduction is still ahead of us. And uh, this will not be easy because more or less we already uh, had the, the low-hanging fruits <laughs> that yes. you can do. And now serious emission reduction needs to happen. So this is my research topic, like how this yeah. effective climate governance system should look like, because we need to maintain this momentum for a 30 years period, which is not not that short as it seems. I mean, it can be short if you think about mm. how many things should be done. But uh, if you think from the perspective that you have to keep the momentum alive and you have to you have to force uh, decision makers to year by year uh, do the right things and have the right decisions, then it's not easy. And what I think is absolutely key is to monitor the progress. Yeah, because that's... if you lose sight of the, of the goal and you don't monitor, uh, the, for instance, the effect of a given policy, mm. you can lose so many years by doing something which is not adequate to the long-term target. Right. And basically, you will never reach that target. Uh, we are also in Finland in the similar situation now because obviously the uh, current government actually set this goal, which was, of course, uh, widely acclaimed and uh, considered as something that needs to be done, but uh, no details were included. And this is where the problem starts. <laughs> and the government actually, in the next few weeks, will be holding a very crucial meeting where they should set clear targets uh, for the roadmap until 2035, which is just 13 years from now. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when I heard about the, the objective for the first time, it was a previous uh, prime minister who had never been very loud spoken about, about climate issues. I thought that, well, well, let's see uh, how we're going to achieve that. And uh, we are exactly in that situation now. The government is not necessarily in a crisis, but uh, there are very strong tensions regarding these issues. And I understand why, uh, because, you know, it is obvious that uh, many of these changes will have uh, more dire impacts on poorer households. And also for, for, for the industry in general. And uh, many of these different parties have conflicting views about this. So we will see what happens. But um, I still think that it's better to set an objective and then start discussing how we're going to reach that than not setting the objective because then you will never reach it. So let's hope that uh, at the end of the day, compromises will be found and, and uh, you know the roadmap will be set. But actually, uh, I think we need to move on now because uh, time is running out. Uh, before we end our discussion, of course, I would like to hear your own estimates about the future, whether there really is a future for humanity, because uh, we all know that global warming has increased quite dramatically. This summer, once again, was one of the hottest uh, during the last few decades. In Finland, we had a record of over 50 days with over 25 degrees temperatures. To many, of course, this was a very positive experience as you did not need to travel abroad to, to enjoy subtropical weather. But the fact is that our planet has difficulties in coping with these changes, with forest fires raging in all continents, polar ice melting, and of course, extreme weather patterns increasing all over the world. 
So do you think we will manage to keep global warming under the two degrees target set at uh, the Paris Climate Agreement before the end of this century? Well, I guess as a climate expert, you cannot avoid these kind of <laughs> questions. Uh, <laughs> but it's really difficult, obviously, to say anything about the future because it's ahead of us, you know. <laughs> so maybe historians are not uh, always in an easy situation, but they are looking to the past, which has already happened. Now, as climate uh, experts, we are looking to the future, which has not happened yet. So we need to say something and uh, we will see it will be uh, if it will be true or false. Well, I would say in Hungarian, there is a saying, saying that hope dies last. <laughs> so there, Very nice. there is always hope. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, if you closely follow the processes as a climate expert, you see the negative trends and you worry a lot. And uh, I also worry a lot. And, uh, and to be honest, my biggest worry is that if we wait uh, more, the more severe consequences will occur. And the more radical should be the change. Of course. Which logically will have less and less social support, as we discussed mm. uh, this important aspect, because, you know, who wants to give up uh, lifestyle from one day to another, for instance, uh, etc. And uh, this could lead to even more serious problem, because uh, as we, as you mentioned, the Yellow West movement, so probably those political forces will gain gain ground who promise easy solutions even for complex exactly. problems. Yeah. Uh, so we are losing time again and the consequences will be more severe and we are you know in a, in a very very bad spiral uh, which is going down and uh, so this is this is my biggest worry. At the same time I also see that this issue is raising on the political agenda and it's I think it's unstoppable now. The question is how serious the politicians will be about it or how they will only greenwash their agenda with mm. uh, uh, climate and energy or climate and environmental related uh, issues basically. I believe that um, the past experience is that uh, only huge catastrophes in introduced or indicated radical changes in human history. And that's a worry from my side because, uh, as well, because uh, we saw the COVID-19 pandemic, for instance, which was relatively a huge shock to the world. And so many people started to talk about building back better, not going back to the nor so-called normal. But now we, we see again that more or less we are, we are going back to, to the normal as, 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 yeah. we, as we called it. So it was not big enough to change pathways. I think that uh, the scenario or the pathway how we are going to reduce our emissions, for instance, will not be, you know, not, not, not be the same every year. So it, it, it will probably it will not be planned. It will be affected by shocks. Yes. And by the time we will see that uh, the processes are getting out of control, probably uh, more radical policies will be introduced. But we will see it, whether it will be enough or not, because the, the biggest problem with climate change is that there are huge delays in the process. So even if we stop emissions mm. tomorrow, mm. it will not mean that you can stop global warming, for instance, for a given period. Yeah. So that, that is my biggest worry. And this should be emphasized that 
at this point, and the IPCC is also saying that, and by the way, next Monday, I mean, the 9th of August will be the date when the newest report of the IPCC will be issued. Okay. So that that's something that should be Followed. checked. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. So by the way, the IPCC is still saying that uh, we can also keep uh, global temperature uh, rise under 1.5. So not even 2, but 1.5 is still reachable. Yes. But we are uh, running out of time. My main message here is that we still can uh, keep this process under control. But we should not wait for the time when the environmental processes will be out of control. Exactly. Because if that happens, that will be a really big problem. Yeah. Because uh, even if you do the best policies from one second to the other, it will not lead to the wanted consequences because it will be out of our hands. Yeah. So I'm still more optimistic yeah. than pessimistic but um, you can never uh, overestimate the importance of uh, climate action now yes well you are a true hungarian following this uh, saying that you would just refer to hope dies last and i think that's a very beautiful way to approach also this major challenge i'm sorry but uh, we will have to end our discussions now due to time constraints there were many interesting topics that uh, we didn't have time to uh, deal with, such as uh, carbon border adjustment and um, environmental fiscal reform subjects that I've been also working with uh, previously in Brussels, but maybe we will have another opportunity later on. So, uh, Andras, uh, it's been a real pleasure to talk with you today about these topics, which becoming clearly very serious threats to humanity and our planet. And of course, I sincerely hope that these challenges will be taken seriously and that uh, we will see decisive action in the future. As to our podcast series, we will continue our, uh, next month with another Hungarian expert, Miss Orsholia Domanitsky, who worked for several years with a local civil society organization and has now decided to set up her own consultancy. So I hope you will keep uh, following our discussions and I really look forward that you will join us at the next edition of our podcast series. So I want to thank our listeners and um, wish you a very nice beginning of the autumn. Thank you. Thank you.